Welcome to the discussion, In Plain Sight, Use Open Source Data to Augment Your Threat Monitoring, sponsored by Recorded Future. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining me. My guest today is Levi Gundert. He's the Senior Vice President of Global Intelligence at Recorded Future. And Levi, the topic today is looking for threats through data monitoring. And this is an activity that every agency at one level or another is going through, whether it's cybersecurity threats, it could be mission related, such as national security threats or threats to the domestic homeland, you name it. And so it's a moving target, how to go about this and making sure that you are monitoring all the data that you need to monitor to make sure that you are on top of whatever the threat is. So let's, let's start at the top. Your best advice for keeping these efforts fully functioning in terms of data sources, uh, making sure that what agencies are monitoring, monitoring for is going to give them the answers they hope to find or prevent. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to be here today, Tom. It's, it's great to be here. And I think, you know, we're obviously living in a time where technology plays such a large role uh, in everyone's lives and, and especially for law enforcement, whether at the local, the state or the, the federal level. There is so much information and so much data uh, to consume. And when you think about sort of the mission of law enforcement and, and what they're there to do, um, whether, you, as you said, whether you're talking about, you know, terrorist threats or, or physical threats, uh, all the way down to, you know, protecting our economy uh, from, from cybercrime and everything in between, there is just an enormous amount of data that has to be uh, collected and processed and analyzed. And the fact of the matter is that it's, it's basically impossible to do that at scale without some pretty significant technology, you know, brought to bear on that problem. And this is also a highly regulated area because there are legal restrictions on what people can monitor for, what agencies can monitor for, what practitioners can go after. Let's talk about law enforcement as an example. Law enforcement does do a lot, that's a major function of law enforcement is data collection. And aside from their own activities, arrests, what happens during arrests, the types of cases that come up, there is a lot more they can avail themselves to, to be able to prevent crime or to see trends in crime. So what, what are the use cases for data monitoring beyond the generation of their own case-based data? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was fortunate to, to formally be with the U.S. Secret Service where I was a, an agent and I, I worked out of the Los Angeles field office on cybercrime. And, you know, that was, that was 15 years ago and so much has changed and evolved since then. And I think obviously it's, it's so important uh, to abide, you know, the fourth amendment and, um, that is a, a critical facet of law enforcement. But at the same time, there is a, a need for threat intelligence, especially in law enforcement, because activity moves so quickly uh, online. It, 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 it moves and evolves at a rate that um, you can't sort of sit back and wait for the phone to ring when, when there has, you know, there's been some sort of crime, there's a victim, they call. Uh, oftentimes it's, it's too late. And many cyber investigations can take you know, multiple years uh, before there's any sort of final disposition, before there's attribution, before there's even indictment brought. And whether that actor is domestic or international, it is a, a long sort of long affair, right, in terms of these investigations. And so threat intelligence becomes so critical to the, the success of law enforcement. And I saw that firsthand, you know, when I was at the Secret Service, and, and the need has only sort of accelerated. So I think if you look at you know what again the mandate is for law enforcement and just some some basic things around you know physical threats, uh, obviously you know physical violence in the capital in January, um, incitements to violence, 
right? Those are things that law enforcement wants to be out ahead of, right? They don't want to wait reactively. And, you know, we have seen uh, some pretty significant efforts at disinformation, uh, at recorded future and information operations that are generated, again, both domestically and internationally. But if, if law enforcement doesn't have availability you know, to the data and they're not able to analyze that data ahead of the curve, they're, they're fundamentally um, starting, starting their day you know, at a disadvantage. And that leads to the idea of open source sources of data that they can legally and ethically avail themselves of. But when you talk about that, you're talking about thousands, tens of thousands of possible sources, maybe even more than that worldwide. So what's a good approach to being able to know where to go with respect to open source data that could augment what it is the agency has and generates on its own? Yeah, I think one of the, the interesting developments that happened recently is there was a lot of community building in common social media platforms, whether it was you know, Facebook or Twitter, what, what have you. And obviously some of the self-policing that's happened recently in that area, has kind of led to this dispersion of activity and discussions to new types of platforms. So Telegram, Gab, MeWe, Wimkin, CloudHub, Second First, Minds, Rumble, Signal, even IRC channels. Uh, IRC is an old internet protocol. Uh, DLive, there's all of these new sort of mobile chat applications popping up, decentralized applications popping up. And, you know, it's, it's actually making, I think, law enforcement's job that much more difficult you know, to ensure that they're they're part of these conversations, that they're on these platforms, right? To your point, where they legally can be, um, that they're again observing, you know, potential incitements to violence, um, you know, that they're potentially observing disinformation campaigns and information operations that are happening online, um, and it's more challenging than ever before for law enforcement uh, because it's not just centered in those typical platforms that you know about; uh, it really is you know, all over the place now. And these platforms that you mentioned, that long list, and I have to confess, I've never heard of any of them, but I guess people that want to be on them somehow find their way to their cohorts on there. How, how do you monitor those? I mean, are they something you can join and then therefore watch what's going on? Are they on the dark web? Are they on the manifest web? Where are they? How do they, how do they exist? Yeah, it's a great question. There's, and there's the way that I think about it is sort of open sources and closed sources. And open sources are platforms where anyone can join and they can take part in the conversation, they can observe the conversation. And obviously, you know, being able to collect that data over time can be useful. Um, closed sources are generally communities where some sort of vetted access is required to gain access into those communities. Uh, we track at Recorded Future, you know, a lot of different closed sources. These tend to be, you know, criminal forums, uh, marketplaces. Uh, it could also be uh, criminal communities, again, that are operating on other types of applications, you know, whether that's uh, Telegram or, or, you know, Discord or whatever it is, um, as long as, you know, we legally can be there uh, because we have an invite right, from an actor or uh, we've been given, you know, access or permission to that community, then, of course, you know, we can go in and, and collect from that community. So it's important, you know, to look at both open and closed sources and you know, maximize your collection analysis capability you know, within, within the bounds of the law, as you stated. Yeah, so I wanna make sure that we understand that point clearly that it can be a closed source, but it is nevertheless available legally to anyone that wants to monitor it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, that's, the internet cuts both ways, right? And we, I know from 
law enforcement, I know from experience that criminals, they, they love the internet because it provides a sense of anonymity. But that anonymity cuts both ways. And that is something that the good guys, you know, in law enforcement can really use uh, to their advantage, right? Because it's, it's very difficult to verify identity. Uh, again, the anonymity factor. And so where you're able to engage with actors in some sort of covert persona, right, it can be very beneficial uh, in terms of, you know, harvesting that information from those close sources. Yeah, so maybe the same techniques and strategies law enforcement has used, say, to catch child predators, for example, by pretending to be someone they're not and nabbing people that way, that technique translates over to a lot of other domains then. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And obviously there's a, an entire spectrum of crimes, again, both at the, the local, state, and federal level uh, that, that all translate into the cyber realm and have a cyber nexus. Like you said, everything from crimes against uh, children to uh, financial crimes to, you know, uh, you know, disinformation and information operations, introducing or creating, you know, malicious code and, and kind of everything in between selling, uh, selling firearms, selling narcotics, right? There's, there's a cyber component and nexus to almost everything now. Um, and that's not even sort of getting into the payment side of things. So it's, uh, it, it's definitely a challenge, but it's one that, again, we think that technology can play a critical role in helping to solve. And given the multiplicity of these sources, I guess that list you read was just a sample, then maybe a shortcut would be to subscribe to a recorded futures type of service instead of trying to figure this all out on your own. Yeah, I, I'm so fortunate to work at Recorded Future, you know, coming again from a, a background in law enforcement and the way that, you know, we produce intelligence in a product is is just incredible. And I think it's it's such a valuable resource uh, for our, our government partners and especially in law enforcement, I would not want to do the job again without Recorded Future just because it really is sort of the, the Bloomberg terminal of threat intelligence. And, you know, to, to be able to avail yourself to that sort of resource, uh, I would never want to go back. And just getting back to the point of the fact that people are anonymous on many of these closed and open sources, that doesn't mean they are shy. And so they feel because of the anonymity, anonymity, that they can actually be much more open about what their plans are. And that's really the, the key to understanding what value this type of data might have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, when, when you start with proactive intelligence, uh, law enforcement can take things, you know, the last mile because they have tools at their disposal. So they can, they can start with great intelligence and then they can use those tools, whether it be uh, subpoenas, whether it be search warrants, Right, to further their investigations, uh, but ultimately they're able to to start pulling on the thread right, and develop an investigation off of off of quality intelligence. All right, we'll take a break on that note. My guest today is Levi Gundert. He's the senior vice president of global intelligence at Recorded Future, and I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is in plain sight. Use open source data to augment your threat monitoring. Sponsored by Recorded Future here on Federal News Network. Welcome back to In Plain Sight using open source data to augment your threat monitoring, sponsored here by Recorded Future on Federal News Network. My guest today is Levi Gundert. He's the Senior Vice President of Global Intelligence at Recorded Future. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And given the range of sources that Recorded Future adds into its product, and I guess you monitor hundreds of thousands of sources around the world, open source, closed source, manifest web, dark web, 
an agency wanting to get into this augmentation of its own monitoring using a source like Recorded Future, how do you begin the process of choosing what data you actually need to avoid having this river and overload of, of your people and your systems? Yeah, that's a great question. When, when we onboard our clients, the first thing we do is, is customization and tailoring for the intelligence requirements that the client has. And at its core, Recorded Future is alerting, monitoring, or searching. And the alerting capability is very powerful. And we can automate alerting through an API, which is just a technical way of saying that you know we can automate alerting into some sort of system of record uh, that's already being used, or we can alert through email or, or other various types of channels. But those alerts are tailored right, and customized. So we work with the client to, to understand you know, what sources are important to you, you know, what sort of uh, terms, what sort of events, right, are the, are the, the types of things that you need to be alerted to. And we sort of do that, that charting or that matrix to ensure that there is a high fidelity signal. Yeah, so in a way, it forces the agency or the client to really come to terms with precisely what its monitoring is all about. And you don't want to have a flood of false alerts or alerts that don't lead anywhere just because you can turn them all on and yet you don't want to miss anything. So it really sounds like a pretty fine grained activity that you need to do to, 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 to lay the groundwork for having a successful program. Absolutely. I think the, the point you just made is so critical is you want to understand what your goals and objectives are up front. You want to understand what you're trying to accomplish. You definitely don't want to go in trying to boil the ocean. If, if you have limited resources, whether it's, you know, manpower, or other types of resources, you're not necessarily looking at, you know, every type of investigation. You probably want to focus on, you know, one or two critical areas that we mentioned before, and then really use recorded future uh, to augment, like you were saying, uh, and, and help build that intelligence capability. But yeah, that, that, is, that is such a critical point, because it's easy to sort of... Uh, it's easy as an intelligence professional or law enforcement professional, you sort of feel like a kid in a candy store when you first look at recorded future. So it is so important to sort of scope what exactly are, are we looking to, to target here. And a few agencies are skilled at mining the dark web, the web you can't see and can't get to from a standard browser. And so how do you augment that activity? And do people need to understand Tor and the rest of it in, in order to be able to understand what's in the dark web? Because even if you have that browser, then what? You know, where do you go? What do you look at? Yeah, so we have spent a lot of time collecting from, as you said, those types of communities and forums that require different technologies to access. Uh, and we collect comprehensively against them. So the nice thing is you don't need a Tor browser. We cache all of that data in recorded future. So when there's an alert or when you're searching for uh, something and there's a result that you want to dig into, having that data cache and recorded feature is, is incredibly valuable. To your point, you don't have to go hop on an undercover computer, spin up the Tor browser and try to get to that same site. But I think you know it's really saving analysts and investigators incredible amounts of time. And we've been talking about law enforcement. What about the DOD realm and the cybersecurity realm? Of course, it's universal to every federal agency. What are the trends you're seeing there and what's happening with the data on those fronts? Yeah, just as it's just as critical to their mission and mandate. Um, obviously, there's multiple, multiple components to what they do. And there's obviously a, 
a need for general intelligence on all kinds of situations around the world. Uh, but there's also intelligence required just for the defensive mission of protecting the organization. And we obviously have uh, hundreds of clients in the private sector that use us for that mission as well. Um, and it's certainly impactful, I think, on both sides, right? uh, depending on you know, exactly what the mission is. But because we're such a, a broad uh, apparatus and capability, there's, there's just so many applications. Yeah, and we've been talking about alerting too, but uh, what about the predictive analytics side of this? Because in many ways, data can point to something that's going to happen before it happens in, in law enforcement and military operations and in cybersecurity. That's gold, right? To know something that's going to happen so you can be ready for when it does happen. Yeah, absolutely. And without getting you know overly complicated and, and technical, you know, we do quite a bit of machine learning inside of the platform. Uh, and natural language processing, where we look at this data, uh, and essentially it gets read, you know, as a human would read it. And so the linkages that that get made by a machine, um, a lot of those are very predictive in nature, especially around some of the technical data. So, for defenders uh, in the organization, you know, looking at, uh, for instance, an IP address, uh, sometimes Recorded Future will be able to provide sort of that forward, that forward guidance on. You know, for example, this IP address hasn't been observed uh, doing anything malicious, you know, now, currently, presently, uh, but there is a sort of predictive indicator that we anticipate this IP address is going to, uh, in the future, be involved in something malicious. And that's sort of the, you know, part of the power of recorded future. It sounds like uh, there's some skill there in ferreting out structured data from unstructured data, because all, many of these sources where people are planning on doing things, communicating what they want to do, that's unstructured. It's natural language, as you say, but embedded in that could be quantities, web addresses, different types of things expressed as numbers that are mixed in. So you almost have a, a like a dual capability of reading what it is that's in the unstructured part, the text part, but also recognizing, wait a minute, that looks like an IP address because IP addresses have a certain format, credit card numbers, social security numbers, and so on. Absolutely, and you, you and I talked earlier about open sources and closed sources, but it's, it's important to also include technical sources. A recorded Future collects massively on technical sources as well, and that, again, is sort of the power of the platform, is it's not limited to, to one source type, and as you said, Obviously, there's an enormous amount of unstructured text in the web uh, that needs to be collected and, and analyzed. Uh, but just as important is that structured data, uh, primarily from sort of the you know, undercovers of the internet and, and all the various atomic indicators um, that you know, comprise the internet and, and what happens on the internet. And so we, we collect you know, both sides of that equation and you know, process it. And as you said, when you look at, when you look at this in context, it's sort of determining that, you know, it's a noun, it's a thing. And when our system recognizes that, we're, we're able to make linkages to all the other things, right? And we call it an ontology, but it's basically just a system or a structure right? that, that um, sort of underpins the entire platform. So it's, and, it's, it's quite powerful. And what about imagery and video? Does that come into this mix also? So we don't do imagery and video today. Uh, we're looking at, you know, future future potential to include um, image and video. Right now, you know, it's, it's primarily based on text. And there's certainly, you know, some value in, in images and videos. But right now, um, we, we are, you know, focused on text because it's um, such, 
such a, a critical capability and um you know we'll have to see what the future holds on, sure. on the video and getting back to the cybersecurity question when a cybersecurity attack happens that is a technical source it sends a piece of code through a network and it lands on a server somewhere and does whatever it's programmed to do is do people find do you find that there is sometimes text and communication surrounding that piece of technical operation before it happens do people discuss hey we're going to see if we can get to the state department or whatever the case might be i'm trying to get a sense of what it is you monitor for for cybersecurity or what one should to make sure you're right on top of what could happen so it's certainly possible but it's probably less common that actors directly signal you know when they're going to attack what what the the target or the victim of the attack is and how they're going to do it i mean there's certainly plenty of conversations about uh, tooling and tactics in a general sense but it's it's not very common that an actor is going to show their hand uh, before they do it um, we do track a lot of active campaigns because we scan the internet the same way that we uh, collect data from the web so we actually have a lot of proprietary methods and techniques uh, that we deploy to actually detect servers that are staging attacks uh, and we're able to also we have visibility in what we call the gray space which is that that space between a victim and an attacker on the internet and we actually observe a lot of these attacks happening uh, in real time, and we are able to identify both, you know, the controller, uh, but also the victims, and that's part of our our technical collection capabilities. And knowing everything you know about the internet, having been in law enforcement earlier in your career, you know how bad a place the internet is in many ways. Do you still use it just because there's some good on there too, and you feel like eh, I can do this, I can buy this stuff online, or check out this video? Yeah, I think. There, like you said, um, there's enormous, enormous amount of good and, and productivity that's come out of the internet, but there's also a, a lot of dark alleys and, and it's, it's difficult to know, you know, I think if you're not in information security, it's difficult to know how to operate safely on the internet, but you know, there's always some, I think, good rules of the road, you know, being careful what you click on you know, emails that you don't recognize and these sorts of things. Um, it's tough, I think, with disinformation more than anything. You know, we've come to this place where um, social media has become this echo chamber. And oftentimes it's so difficult, you know, to understand, is this actually true? Is this a fact? I think more than anything right now, just looking at sort of threats on, you know, online is disinformation, information operations is uh, such a, a powerful weapon. And, you know, we at Recorded Future, we see, you know, multiple countries engage in this type of activity you know, China, Russia, Iran, uh, but even just, you know, domestic groups internally uh, within the U.S. that, that propagate disinformation. Um, it's really hard, I think, for, for people, especially everyone's online more, you know, in the COVID era, and, you know, everyone's trying to figure out, you know, what is true and what is not. And I think it's actually one of the, the biggest challenges that we have with the internet right now is figuring out, you know, how do I rely on, on the information that I'm, I'm reading? All right. So the old advice, be careful out there, still applies. I want to thank today's guest. Levi Gundert is the Senior Vice President of Global Intelligence at Recorded Future. I'm Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Recorded Future. 
Thank you for listening to the discussion In Plain Sight. Use open source data to augment your threat monitoring, sponsored by Recorded Future on Federal News Network.